Please turn to Romans 8, 18 to 22. And we are going to consider verse 26 and 27. The Bible says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the world creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is, that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he, also, he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. Lord, we praise your name for your word. How sweet. And awful is this place when you are within its doors. And how sweet is your word, sweeter than honey and honeycombs. And Lord, we pray then that as we, as we eat it, we will relish it. And we will cherish it in our hearts. And we shall live here and fight, even to the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our subject of consideration this morning is the help of the Spirit in prayer. What Christian can pray as he ought? Who can say that I pray enough and I pray well enough? Who can say that he offers perfect prayers all the time and prays all the time without ceasing? Who can? What's my point? My point is that it's the beginning of the year and it's good to learn how to pray. 
if you're going to be anywhere near successful this year in your spiritual walk, it will only be because you have been depending on God and not on yourself. There are so many days ahead of us. And uh, who knows what lies ahead of us this year? Who knows whether there would be grief? Who knows what affliction awaits us? Who knows what sufferings and what joys too that are ahead of us? So we would be wise to learn how to pray. The point of this text is that we all need help of the Spirit in our prayer life and praise God, the Holy Spirit is here to help us. We must know what His help is and how the Spirit helps us. And so the object of this sermon is not simply to give you information on prayer. It's not even to teach you on the help of the Spirit although that's going to be there. But the object of this sermon is to get you to be more prayerful. It is to get you to pray more than you've been doing. So the Lord invites you to pray, to ask, to seek, to knock. And every time he says, he will give you. And he says, you have not because you do not ask. And that's not your only problem. And when you ask, you don't get because you ask in vain to spend it on, your, on the passions of your flesh. That's why you, we need the help of the Spirit. I hope you know that your utmost wants and needs is love and power can bless. To praying souls, he always grants more than they can express. Because the Bible says that he is able to bless us when we pray exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we ask or even think or imagine. Our Christian hope is rock solid. We hope for what we do not see with patience. In the same way, or likewise, the Spirit helps us. This is the context. Our hope, our patience, is all the more strengthened now, that has already been spoken about in verse 25 and 24. And so then he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We hope for we, what we do not see with patience because the Spirit helps us. That word likewise also could be that just as creation groans in verse 22, and the Christians groans in verse 23. Likewise, the Spirit also groans, verse 26. So these two verses show that 
the, the, the spirit groans in a manner, in a sense, like the creation and like the Christian, but also unlike the creation and the Christian. Because there are those three groanings here. And so as you read on the two verses, you'd see that the groaning of the creation and the groaning of a Christian and the groaning of the spirit are different. They're not the same. The Spirit of God, as we shall see, is a fount of every blessing and is able to tune us to prayer right. We need to engage in someone with the knowledge that the Spirit helps us in our weakness and in prayer. You notice the following three things about the help of the Spirit, that He helps us, He helps us in prayer, and God knows the might of the Spirit, since the Spirit leads us to pray according to the will of God. So let's consider then, number one, the help, the Spirit helps us. The, the Spirit's help, then the first part of uh, verse 26. The word helps occurs only here, uh, occurs only twice in the New Testament. Here and in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. It means someone is com coming alongside someone else who is carrying a heavy load and he bears the burden with him. So Jesus... The other, the, other, the other instance where it's used, Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Finally, uh, she burst out, Lord, do you not care that my sister Mary has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. That's a word. Tell her to help me. So mother was not suggesting that she would also come and sit down at Jesus' feet. It's not what she wanted. She wanted another pair of hands to help with the work. And that's a word. She wanted her sister to help bear the burden of preparing and serving the meal. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes along to help us. The Spirit in helping us comes along us and he gives us the help we need to continue steadfastly in our faith. We know that the Spirit was given by Christ to be our helper, our paraclete, our comforter, our advocate. And he discharges this role of being our helper without prejudice. He gives tirelessly. He helps tirelessly. The Spirit is never tired of helping. He never runs out of, out of the resources for helping. He helps us. The help of the Spirit is both general and specific. He helps us generally in our weakness, and He helps us specifically in our prayers. Passage shows us two, those two areas, and I want to deal with each one of, our, of them. He helps us generally in our weaknesses, in our weakness. 
is a very comforting statement of fact. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's a statement of fact. It's not conditional. It doesn't say that the, this is a probability. This is a fact. This is what the Spirit does to the children of God. He helps them. You remember that story of the, the, the good Samaritan? He's not like the priest or like the Levite who left the aged man on the way. He helps us in our infirmities and brings us to the best inn where Christ gives us more grace. That's what he does. And the question then is, what weakness does Paul have in mind here? It's all weakness. All weaknesses. If you could only admit your weaknesses, he would help you. The Spirit, the Spirit does not find any weakness upon a saint and ignore it. He helps. Always helps. He helps us generally on anything. If we are ignorant, he educates. If we are discouraged, he encourages. If we are anxious and worried, he calms and gives us peace. He assures us when we are doubtful. He's always available in his fellowship. Ever present, ever willing, he is our paraclete, our advocate with the Father. He's our helper. He regenerates, causing us to be born again. He is our sanctifier, sanctifying us all the way from, the, from day one of your salvation, all the way to glory. He guides us to glory. He is inspirer of scriptures. And he also illuminate, illuminates or illumines the same scriptures to give us understanding. So the Spirit is our helper in all sorts of weaknesses. We cannot live this, in this fallen world without the help of the Spirit in our weaknesses. You know, one of the reasons that God created Eve for Adam was so that she can be his helper, suitable for him. But you know, and, and, and you wives need to offer all the help you can to your husbands. Now the word help does not mean that you husbands do nothing. It's that you come together and come along and, and, and you're helped that way. But the best of wives, the best of Christian wives, cannot offer the kind of help that we are talking about here. The help that the Spirit gives is a continual, constant help to believers, generally.
And then secondly, he helps us specifically in our prayers. For the Bible says we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with the groanings too deep for words. He also helps us specifically in our weaknesses when it comes to prayer. We are to keep praying and if appropriate, keep walking or obeying or whatever the Bible may tell us to do about our situation. And he will help us. But as we pray, the Spirit says, let me grab the other end. Let me help you by picking up your burden and taking it, taking it uh, before the Father in heaven. I'll take you to his throne. I know what to pray for when you don't. So the Spirit helps us by praying for us in our weakness. What an encouragement to us weaklings to know that even when you think that your prayers have been less than the best, the Spirit of God has still turned them out at the throne at their best. But I want to talk further about this specific help in prayer. Let's go to the second point. The help of the Spirit in prayer. The Bible says we do not know what to pray for as we ought. First remember, we do not know how. But that's not the issue right now. The issue is that we do not know what. You can see that there is a difference. It doesn't say, for we do not know how to pray. It says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. The content of our prayers is flawed. The content of our prayers the Bible says it's flawed because we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We cannot pray well without the help of the Spirit. The kind of things we ask for without the Spirit would be completely unacceptable before the throne of grace. And that's why James says, you have not because you do not ask. And even when you ask, you ask wrongly because you want to feed your flesh. The content of our prayers is important for it tells us what we really love and live for. But the Spirit corrects that and He enables us to have the right content for our prayers so that our prayers are trashed, are not trashed, excuse me, are not trashed in the dustbin of God. I don't think he has a dustbin anyway. What do you pray for? You pray for a big car. You pray for a big house. You pray to live in a good neighborhood. You pray for health. You pray for clothes. You pray for good grains. And you pray for all that. 
A sense of weakness ought to drive us to prayer. When you realize your weakness, you would pray. You would pray more. You would be more fervent. You would be more sincere. Some of you get stuck and you still don't pray. You're in trouble, in affliction, and you still don't pray. You can tell others, please pray for me. And even make a phone call for someone to pray for you. But you yourself don't pray. Most of our soliciting for prayers should be directed at the throne of God. Our failure to pray for the right things ought to drive us to pray. And the Spirit helps. He is eager and willing and able to help us. Therefore, we should solicit His help more frequently. You remember when uh, Christian was stuck in that pool of despondency? What did he do? What was his prayer? Help! He prayed. And what happened? Immediately, the helper, the Spirit, came and delivered, uh, delivered him from that despondency. Let me tell you, there is no atheist in trouble. When they are nothing, they will still call upon God. That's how they are wired. That's how we are all wired. But still, when we become Christians, we kind of lag behind in our prayer life. But the Bible says here that the Spirit helps us. Because we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So he, there is the intercession of the Spirit. He intercedes for us. And we have two divine intercessors as we sang. Christ, who is the heavenly intercessor, and the Spirit, who is the intercessor in our own hearts. The word that is translated help here means that the Spirit joins up with us in bearing up our burden. And he does so by taking our words and making them what they should be before the throne of grace. He helps us in, in bearing the burdens imposed upon us by our weaknesses. It's not that we do, not, we do nothing and he does everything. Rather, he comes along to deliver us from our weaknesses when we are willing. The Spirit works closely with the saint and harness the divinely given strength to be even better out of our circumstances. Let's consider then, when we think about the help of the Spirit in the prayer, we have to talk about His groanings, the groanings of the Spirit. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So in intercession, He looks at you praying that God may give you a good grade in your KCSE. And he says, you don't realize that if you got a good grade, you would be a mess. 
So you don't need a good grade. You need to have a poor grade so that he can humble you and so that you can be a better child of God. And when you get your poor grade, you pout and try all two days. And still the Holy Spirit takes all that cries and he turns them around and makes you more supple on your knees. He intercedes, he intercedes. In other words, he intervenes. And how does he do this? He intervenes with groanings. What does this mean? Groanings? God groaning? We have nothing else to compare with since this is the only reference to such a thing in Scripture. But first we can say with certainty that it does not refer to speaking in the so-called tongues. It does not refer to speaking in tongues. As some people have argued that, the, you see, there it is, the Holy Spirit groaning. And so all the speaking in tongues is supposed to have been drawn from this understanding of that word groaning. We are groaning, they say, when we utter that, you know, those wordless words they utter. Now you realize that that's not the context here. The, the context is completely saying, no, 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 that, not that. That subject is totally foreign to the context here. Speaking in foreign languages, ministry was not universal to all believers. I mean, the Bible asks the question, do all speak in tongues? And the answer is, no, they don't. Do all prophesy? No, they don't. Which means this is not universal. But the ministry in view here of the Spirit is universal for all Christians. It's all Christians who enjoy this kind of ministry of the Spirit. It's for all believers. In any case, who is groaning? The Spirit, not your mouth, not you, not the person. If you want to talk about the groanings of a Christian, you go to verse, go to verse 23. Don't go to verse 26. If you go to verse 26, you go, you get the groaning of the Spirit. And the groaning here is actually speechless. Let me, let me try to give you ideas of what many theologians have to say about this groaning. And then I'll give you mine. You can have your take. The people who have taught that since it is inconceivable for God to groan, these must refer to power groaning, which the Spirit translates into specific requests before the Father. Who do you think taught that? I'm not bringing bad, bad theologians here. I'm only giving you different different people who are of sound mind, good theologians for that matter. This is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, this cannot be God. This cannot be, it's inconceivable that the Holy Spirit, God, would be groaning 
So it must refer to our own groaning. That's what he says in his book, uh, his, his exposit expository book, the book of Romans, the final perseverance of the saints. Okay, I'm not saying anything. I'm only telling you what he has said. All right, one other theologian, our contemporary Thomas Schreiner, understands it to refer to groanings that originate from the Spirit but are experienced by believers. He explains that the Spirit burdens us with inexpressible longings to know and do the will of God. He then takes those burdens to the Father in articulate form on our behalf. That's Tom Schreiner. And John MacArthur says in his study Bible that these groans refer to divine articulations within the Trinity that cannot be expressed in words, but carry profound appeals for the welfare of every believer. Now, have your take. But before you do that, let me give you my take. Maybe one more before I go. There are those who have argued that the wording of the sentence implies that these are the groans of the Spirit himself of which we are not aware. Now, this is my own understanding, is that the Spirit's groaning on our behalf is a very difficult word here. Andropomorphism. Or rather, more precisely, anthropopathism. It's the same kind of understanding where God constantly in the scriptures would use language that we can understand. Language of man, experiences or human experiences are used of God. So for example, you hear that God repented or relented, or you hear that uh, God was grieved and such, or the heart of the Lord was heavy upon me. That's using words or phrases that are experienced only by men to refer to God so that men can understand. So that's anthropo anthropomorphism, the use of human terms for us to understand what God is doing in terms of uh, parts, as if God would have a hand or as if God would breathe and such. Now, when it comes to that same word, but then pathism, we are talking about passions, God using human passions to express what he does for us, which I believe is the case here attributing emotion, human emotions to God. Paul pictures the Holy Spirit groaning on our behalf to convey that he takes up our needs at the deepest emotional level and conveys our hearts and cares to the Father's uh, throne, all in line with the will of God, as we shall see shortly. But all these for what purpose? To encourage us to pour out our hearts before him, trusting in him at all times. 
That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 68, rather 62 verse 8. We read, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Don't hold anything back. Tell Him everything. Yes, if your grains make you unhappy, tell Him. Tell Him everything. And the Spirit will do the rest. He will help you and turn it around. And, and tune that, that desire to mean God. Now, while you are praying, God, help me have the best of grades I can have. Help me have a grade A. And the Holy Spirit turns that around and he says, God, help him have grade A if it will lead him to your glory. So it's not simply grade A without an end. It's grade A with a purpose and an end. And uh, the Spirit does that. He helps us in our weaknesses. He comes alongside our weaknesses and he, he strengthens us to utter the right thing and to convey them in the right manner and to do so with the necessary fervency. He does that. And he is not going to spare any of his uh, emotion, so to speak but he will pour out and give out everything for the benefit of the children of God. Thirdly, and finally, uh, God knows the might of the Spirit, verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the might of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There is no doubt that God knows the might of the Spirit. He does. And here is the doctrine of the Trinity expounded. He who knows the hearts is a reference to God, the Father, and the Son. He knows who, what is the mind of the Spirit, the Father. Yet the Spirit is described as one who knows the mind of God and the will of God. This shows that the Spirit is God, just as the Father and the Son, and yet... The Spirit is not the Father, and He's not the Son. Each is not the other. Each is a different personality with different mind, as we can see there. But the Bible says that He searches the hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit. Who searches the heart of men except God? Our Heavenly Father in His love knows His children and the Son understands our frame. He knows that we are dust. And Paul's point is if God understands all human hearts, then He must know the unspoken groans of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. In other words, the Spirit takes our deepest feelings and, and expresses needs to the Father. And the Father understands everything perfectly. And so God answers our prayers sometimes with wise deniers when we ask amiss. He weaves blessings out of trials, out of grief, evolves bliss, answering prayer with wise denials when his children ask amiss. While we while withholding, he is giving. 
in his own appointed way. And while we are waiting, we are also receiving blessings suited to our day. Oh, the wondrous loving kindness of God. And since God searches and knows every heart, every mind, our prayers should come from the heart. You can impress others with your spiritual sounding theologically astute words and prayers, but those prayers may not impress God at all unless the Spirit gets hold of them and turns them around to be sincere and fervent at the throne of grace. So pour out your heart honestly to God. But maybe you're thinking, but what if my prayers are not in line with the will of God? What's the answer? This also is for the Spirit to deal with. It's not for you. Because the Bible says that the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. Part of our weakness in prayer is that we do not know God's sovereign will. We can know His moral will as revealed in the Scriptures. But, and we should never, for your information, we should never pray for anything contrary to the Scriptures. So, if a non-believer approached you for marriage, please don't tell him, I will pray about it. Don't tell him that. You're giving him false hopes. So don't pray for that which is contrary to the revealed will of God. Don't, don't begin, you know, doing gymnastics in your minds like, I think he might be a believer. It's only that he doesn't go to church. You know those kind of things that people may have in their minds, trying to excuse things? You know, you cannot, you cannot pray as a believer to God to give you the courage to steal. You mustn't. You know the will of God there. So you can't pray or you mustn't pray whether you should steal or not to meet your financial needs. These things are all wrong. But you know, there are things that it's not very clear what the will of God is. Should I take this job? Or should I take the other one? You, you don't know. In a sense, that's an easier one. What about when you are praying for things that God has had ideas? Uh, take, for example, Noah, uh, excuse me, Manoah and his wife praying regarding their son. They, they rightly exhorted Samson. Of course, they wanted him to marry, but they exhorted Samson not to marry a Philistine woman. But they did not know that God, God wanted to use Samson's wrong desires to bring judgment on the Philistines. That's in Judges 14 verse 1 to 4. They didn't know that. 
So you still pray for that which you believe is the will of God, that my son, Samson, must not go to marry a Philistine. And you pray for that. Now, if God has had the ideas to overrule his weaknesses and his sinful desires, that is up to him. Remember Jeremiah, he was right to pray that God would spare his people from the Babylonians for his name's sake. But what was God's will? God's sovereign will in that situation was to judge his own people through the hand of the Babylonians. Habakkuk was right to pray. God, you can't do that. You can't let those wretched Chaldeans ravage your own people. You can't do that. He was right to pray like that. But then God told him, the things that I want to do, no, yes, hand before. So, we still pray like that. Think about uh, another situation. Satan, he demanded permission to sift Peter like wheat by tempting him to deny Christ three times. That's what Jesus himself said. He knew that. If you'd had that demand, what would you have prayed regarding Peter? God, rebuke that Satan. Don't let him get any close to Peter. Oh, please God. And that would be a fair prayer because that's what you know. But then Jesus knew that. And how did he pray? How did he pray for Peter? He knew the will of God perfectly, but he did not pray that Peter would not be touched by Satan, he would not, that he would not sin, but rather that his faith would not totally fail and that after he was, uh, after he was restored, he would strengthen his brothers. So he needed to have been brought to the law so that when he would rise up, he would be better placed to help the rest of the brothers. To strengthen them. Now, it's those kind of situations that you really do not know. And that's where we need to pray and trust the Lord that the intercessor, the spirit, would always come to our end. So I understand then Paul's point to be that we should pray according to God's will as best as we can and in as much as it depends on us. According to God's decreed will. That's how our prayers are to be. And the Spirit will correct our requests to line up with God's sovereign will. So even if to us it seems that our requests are denied, in God's sovereign plan they will be answered. Answering prayers by wise deniers when his children ask amiss. You remember... Uh, if you are a student of history, uh, Monica, she was the mother of August, Augustine of Hippo. And she was praying, godly mother, and she was praying for years for the salvation of her wayward son, Augustine. Then one day he told her that he was going to move to Italy. And she prayed against that. 
my wicked son must not go to wicked Italy and be even more wicked. She prayed that he would not go because she thought that he would be led into father's sin there without any restraining word of his mother. But do you know what happened? Augustine said, no mother, I must go to Italy. I know you don't want it, but I have to go. And he went. But what was God's plan for him in Italy? To save his soul. The mother didn't know that. That's where he got saved. The spirit took her deepest desire, which was the salvation of her son. Even though she didn't want him to go to Italy, it wasn't that she had anything, you know, against Italy in and of itself. She hoped that her son would be saved. And that's what happened. So he redirected it before God's throne. And her son got saved and became the most influential theologian for the next, you know, thousands of years. I hope he would be. So then in closing, do you want to pray more? After listening to all that, I've spent all my saliva trying to encourage you to be more prayerful. Are you, are you committing to pray more? Are you planning to? So I want to encourage you again to pray. I need to say that we won't fully understand the mystery of prayer in this life, but we know that the Lord commands us to pray. And therefore prayer is a means appointed by God. He has ordained prayer as the means through which we cooperate with him in bringing about his sovereign purposes. He encourages us with the truth that the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us, tenderly cares for us, and he takes our prayers and directs them according to God's will before his throne. So why do, we, why do you not pray? Because you have no designated time to pray. What time do you pray? I know you have a time to eat your breakfast. You have a time to wash. You go to your bathroom. You have a time to eat your lunch. You have a time to eat your dinner. Some of you have time to watch news. Most of you have time to go on Facebook and scroll and scroll and scroll the Twitter and all that social media accounts that you've got. How do you have the time for that? What time do you have for prayer? Is it when you wake up and then you're pressed for time and you're running? Even when you're praying, you're thinking, time is running out. I'm running late. I, I need to stop praying. So you wonder, is he praying? What time do you have to pray? Yes, you have a designated time to wake up and get to work. That's when you know it's a time that, you have, that you've set. But what time do you have for prayer? You see, if you don't plan to pray, you won't pray at all. If you, if you have no designated time for prayer, there would be no prayers. Now, we've helped you a little bit. 
We have a Thursday prayer meeting, but some of you are not even there for it. And yet this happens at the comfort of your home. So let me say a few more things. Don't let the fact that you do not know what to pray or how to pray as you should, don't let that discourage you from praying. Paul didn't know how to pray as he should, but he told us, pray at all times in the Spirit. Ephesians 6.18. And this is after telling us to put on the whole armor of God. And then he says, each piece should be put on with prayer. So keep at it, even when you don't understand it. It's not the use of the right words as such, but the sincerity of your prayers before God. Now, the use of right words is vital, it's important, but eventually it is that demeanor of wanting to pray. Yes, you may be driving, pray. Yes, you may be walking, pray. Yes, you may be walking. You can even pray when you're walking. And your employer will not know. Don't let the fact that prayer isn't easy discourage you from praying. Paul told the Colossians that Epaphras was always laboring, listen to this, laboring earnestly for them in his prayers. Can that be said of you? Prayer is often hard work. It isn't easy. I remember staying with a friend of mine. His daughter is here. And uh, this was at a period when uh, the, the KCSE exams were being, was being done. And uh, uh, we would wake up to pray. And, and one morning, I would say, the spirit of prayer and supplication was present. And we got praying and praying, and time was going and going. I began getting worried for him. And so when we finished, I said to him, uh, we have prayed for too long and now you're late. And he said, that's what the Lord wanted. And he went to work. And it, it so happened that that day, the papers were delayed there was no problem at all. So I asked him later in the evening, how did it go? He said, oh, there was no problem at all. But what struck me was how he was the least unbothered by the fact that we had gone on and he was running late. Sadly, I'm yet to grow up to get there. But we all need to aim at praying and keeping on praying. Let me also say that it's not, it's not the length, just like it's not the, the, it's not the astuteness of your words that constitute the effectiveness of your prayers. It's also not the length of your prayers, but the help of the Spirit that counts. So it could be that you will pray within a minute. But you've prayed. And then after some time, you would pray again and again and again. And you keep up with praying. Uh, 
And then please don't let the fact that your prayers don't seem to be answered keep you from praying all the more. Make sure that to the best of your understanding, you are praying in accord with God's will. Keep praying. The Bible does encourage importunity or persistence. And you remember that importunate uh, widow who went to the judge and the judge was corrupt and, she, and the judge would not help the lady. And she kept on waking up and going to his door and knocking and knocking and knocking. And eventually, what did the judge say? I don't want her coming every day to my door. I will do what she wants. And the Lord says, if a wicked, corrupt judge could do that, how much more the infinitely holy God? Don't pray once. Don't pray just twice. Keep praying and pray and pray and pray. Pray and pray and pray and pray. And finally, the Spirit will correct your prayers to be conformed to the will of God. If you fear that you are praying unknowingly, unknowingly for something that is not His will, you can trust that the Spirit will take your prayers and line them up with God's perfect will. This gracious truth that the Holy Spirit tenderly prays for us in weakness should cause us to persevere in prayer, especially in times of trial. And then I want to ask you who are not indwelt by the Spirit, the Spirit of God has not saved you, has not regenerated you. Can you see how defenseless you are? Can you see why your prayers cannot be answered? Because you're without the Holy Spirit. You only want your prayers answered to feed your flesh, to gratify the passions of your flesh. Then I ask you, what are you waiting for? Did you read somewhere in the scriptures that the Spirit will not touch you to regenerate you? Did you read that anywhere? What are you waiting for? What, what are you doing about your soul? What are you doing about your soul? Yes, you may be young, just a little boy or a little girl. But you need Christ. You need Christ. Because without Christ, there would be no help of the Spirit. And without the help of the Spirit, you're on your own, defenseless. You've no armor of God. Your prayers are an abomination before God. What are you waiting for? Have you some appointment with God that at such and such a date He will save you? Isn't it? Today that God gives you as his appointment for salvation, and he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart in rebellion. Is it not today? Isn't today the day of salvation? It is. So why do you want to leave this place without God? Why do you want to go away without Christ in your soul? 
Why would you want to do that for yourself? Why? It doesn't make sense to me. Christ Jesus is freely offered in the gospel. And why would you not believe in him? He has done us so much good that we can encourage you all the day long. Believe in him. Because God the Father loved the world and he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Let's rise up to praise him.